At some point in our lives, we've all felt like we just didn't belong. Whether that was being called names on the playground, ignored at parties, struggling with relationships at work or in our personal lives, we've all experienced times we simply didn't feel at home. So we put up a front. We try to work our way or impress our way into the approval of others, whatever it takes to try and fit in. And no matter how successful and in control the world sees us, we still feel alone and often exhausted by the effort. It's time for that to change. Yes, here we go. It's a journey, a journey toward home. How many of you recognize the song that was just playing underneath there? Any Philip Phillips fans out there? Did he win American Idol? He was at least a contestant on American Idol years ago. I love that song. It kind of embodies the journey that we're getting ready to kick off today. Hey, speaking of such things, uh, Moms and dads, if you have kids in this space, I've been talking the last few weeks about how we here at Venture desire to be real people. We want to tell real stories. We're going to tell a real story here in just a few minutes, uh, a video kind of testimony. It's real. I'm going to give it a PG-13 rating. This might be a brilliant time to remind you we've got a kid, great kids ministry down the hall. So just kind of giving you a heads up on that so you've got time to prepare well. So that video that we just watched, oh my goodness, that triggers all kinds of memories for me. I bet it does you as well. When you walked in today, we've already celebrated it, but how many of you noticed the 1989 Plymouth Voyager minivan sitting out there? How many of you saw that and went, oh, I remember those vans. Anytime I see one from that era, it reminds me of my buddy Chad Farwell. His family, I think, was the first family that I knew that bought the minivan. We still had the station wagon. We were still like dumb schmucks piling into a station wagon while they were driving the cool new minivan. I was jealous of him, but I remember loading up the station wagon. Maybe you remember this story. You know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Little brother punching you in the arm. There's something about journeys. Oh, my goodness. I love them. Packing the bags, planning for it, gearing up. Well, here we are. We're on a journey. This week, as I came into this room many times, by the way, our uh, stage design folks built a house on stage. How cool is that? Can we just say thank you to Evan and his volunteer teams for pulling that off? Yeah. And each time when I would walk in, somebody would see the door, and they would ask me the question, hey, Stan, are you going to walk out that door when it's time to start the sermon? Uh, and I said, no. Here's why. Listen to this. This is not a journey from home. This is a journey to home. Listen to that. Over the next six weeks, we're heading toward home. Lock that in your brains. 
Also, grab this uh, journey guide that uh, Jake was just talking about. Pull that out. Let's look at the title of today's message. This is the promise of home. What is it like to be at home? I want to spend some time just unpacking that today. And again, wetting your appetite. This is just a taste. The real work of this thing is going to happen in your small group. Again, if you haven't signed up yet for a small group, run. Don't walk out here to the lobby afterwards and get signed up in one of those. You want to be a part of this. If you don't have one of these with you today, go ahead and grab this. This will work. It's kind of second status here. This is what you really want, but this will work. Uh, either way, I want you to turn to either page 12 and 13 in your guide. Go ahead and do that, please, right now. If you don't have that with you, grab one of these on your way out, but right now open this up to the inside. It's the same thing. We're going to do some work together. I want you to grab a pen. There should be one on every seat. By the way, there's also an invite card in every seat or in the seat back in front of you. On your way out today, if you know somebody inside your circle of influence that should be here, should be on this journey with us, use that invite card, walk it across the street, take it to the office next door, whatever, whoever it is, invite them to join you on this journey. You could even invite them to join you in your small group. Right now, page 12 and 13. Let's start on page 12. Where or when I feel at home. Top of mind. The first thing that comes to your mind right now when I say that out loud, write it down. Maybe it's a front porch rocking chair. Maybe it's the light in the living room as you're driving toward home. Maybe it's the smell of grandma baking cookies in the kitchen. I don't know, whatever it is. Go ahead and write that down. And then look over to the right side of that. When you're at home, you are. And then just circle whatever comes to mind. If you resonate with that sentence, circle it. Known and loved. Accepted for who you are. Brave. Filled with peace. Kind. Inclusive. You just read through that list. Even while I'm preaching, you go ahead and circle what you resonate with. Then you'll notice on the other side, it says where or when I don't feel at home. I'm seeing some of you are not writing. I really want you to do this work. This is pretty important to our journey. So pull that thing out, grab that pen, and write down where I don't feel at home. Put some thought into this. Think about it. Write it down. Circle the phrases to the left there as you're writing is it when you're self-reliant, when you're putting on a front, when you're anxious, when you're exclusive, when you're feeling judgmental, jealous, you read through those, you circle whatever resonates best with you. As you're doing that, I want to continue with the things that I want to share. By the way, if you flip the page over one more page, pages 14 and 15, there's a space there for you to write some sermon notes on. I hope you do that because here's the thing. My prayer for the next six weeks is that every one of us can get to a new place in our spiritual walk with our God. A place where there's peace and there's joy and there's contentment. A place where there's security and there's significance. This is a place called home. We should pray for that. Would you bow your heads right now? Let's go to our God in prayer. God, as we leave on this journey, we pray with open hearts open minds, open hands. Lord, you take us where you want to take us. We're willing. Lord, as I open up the Bible and speak from your word, Lord, remove whatever is not from you. Lord, I pray that we hear loud and clear the message that you would share with each of us, our hearts today. And I pray that in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, for most people, when we talk about home, it brings up good memories. Memories of feeling safe and secure. But I know, 
I know in a room this size that for some of us, that's not what happens inside of our hearts in this moment. For some of us, this brings up some painful memories. And I want you to understand that this series is not about going backwards, where we're going to try to dig up painful memories from your past and rehash them, but it's simply to understand that as we journey forward, we all have baggage that we're carrying around with us. And sometimes that baggage gets in the way of experiencing God's best for us, what he wants for his sons and for his daughters. And so we're going to spend uh, the rest of our time together today simply unpacking some baggage together. I'm going to share with you, if you don't mind, I want to be fairly vulnerable. Again, I want to be real. We're real people, and I want to unpack for you some of my baggage. You, um, you might not resonate. I've got six of these things. As you're taking notes, you're going to want to write these down. I've got six of them that I resonate with. You might not resonate with all of these. You might have your own that I wouldn't relate to, and you might not relate to some of mine. But you have baggage. I know you do, as do I. And I want to spend some time working through this. Because here's the simple truth. If you're taking notes, write this down. All of us are born orphans. All of us are born orphans. Take just a minute. Just react to that word, orphans. I don't love that word, if I'm just being perfectly honest with you. I'm a daddy, a foster parent. I've raised kids that have come out of the foster care system. I look at that word, and it reminds me of Oliver Twist. Please, may I have another, sir? I, there's something about that word that I, I don't love it, but it does kind of illustrate the point. An orphan is simply somebody who does not have a mama and a papa caring for them taking care of them, providing a place called home. And all of us, if we read our Bibles correctly, I believe all of us are born orphans. By the way, when I look at that word, I see opportunity. When I look at that word through the lens of a foster parent, I see opportunity to redeem a story. When I look at that word as a pastor, I see the opportunity to redeem spiritual brokenness, to redeem a spiritual story. I see opportunity in the word orphan. But we come by this honestly. There's a through line in Scripture. All of us are born orphans. It starts with our great, 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 thousand times great spiritual grandparents, Adam and Eve. If you open up your Bible, the first three chapters of the Bible, we see brokenness. A broken relationship with God. You see Adam and Eve hiding from God. You see barriers go up. They start acting like orphans. When we first brought our kids home, I called one of my boys yesterday and asked his permission to share this story. He spent like the first three days in our house underneath the piano hiding. Because he knew this story. He had been in a couple of other foster homes, and he knew what it was like to feel a little bit of love and a little bit of acceptance and then to feel that bond broken. We all have orphan tendencies. We come by it honestly. It starts with our first parents, Adam and Eve. We find this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. They started hiding from God. 
Adam and Eve are hiding from each other. They're hiding from God. This is an orphan tendency. It's all on me to make it happen. Then all relational hell breaks loose at that point in the Bible. Their kids, Cain, kills Abel. There's relational brokenness, story after story. There's relational tension. There are orphan tendencies that sneak out. Skip ahead to the, the Tower of Babel. Their successes even, and this will preach in Hamilton County, a bunch of type A people. Their successes are actually getting in the way of their relationship with God. Orphan tendencies leak out. There's an ADD. I'm sure you've heard of ADD and ADHD, attention deficit and hyperactive disorder. There's another ADD, attachment deficit disorder. As a foster parent, listen, when you're an orphan, when you've felt like you've been abandoned, sometimes it's hard to attach. And sometimes as a spiritual orphan, it feels difficult even to attach to God. There was a story I read years ago. This is Demi Moore. My goodness. Successful, beautiful Hollywood actress. She was interviewed right after her divorce from Ashton Kutcher, her third marriage. She shared something about attachment and bonding. This is Harper's Bazaar magazine. I found this fascinating. She said, I used to think that what scared me was the idea of being abandoned until someone said to me, only children can be abandoned. Adults can't be abandoned because we have a choice. Children don't have a choice. So I started to rethink, okay, it's not that. What's the underlying thread that really scares me? I think what scares me is not having the courage to reach my full potential. Can I challenge you? If you resonate with some of these orphan tendencies that we're going to talk about here in a minute, lean into that. For the next six weeks, risk, take a risk, lean into this as an opportunity to heal, as an opportunity to grow. There's a dominant theme in the Old Testament, Old Testament. it's this idea of abandonment, about not reaching full potential. You can skip ahead in the story, you see Moses. Moses was not just a spiritual orphan, but a physical orphan as well. We find this in Exodus chapter 2, verse 10. When the child grew older, Moses, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. He was adopted into the king's family. If you're a Christian, I bet there's some light bulbs flashing in your mind's eye right now. We get adopted into the king's family as well. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. He gets adopted twice. This comes close to home for me. Last week we took a weekend off. By the way, didn't Jake Smith do a great job preaching last weekend? Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate him. We joined you virtually for that. We hung out in St. Louis for a couple of days, had a couple of my kids with me, and on the way home, we are getting ready to do this hike, and I went into a gas station. I bought myself a sports drink, and I grabbed my wife, Dawn, a Diet Coke. She loves Diet Coke. I come and I sit down, and Dawn turned around. She saw a teaching moment, an opportunity. She looked at the kids and said, hey, look, and this is how you love. This is a way to my heart through a Diet Coke, right? And then she said this, he loves me more. We kind of joke like this in our family. He loves me more because he chose me. And then she said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> he actually chose you guys as well. The two kids sitting there looking back at her were adopted. We literally chose them. We have one biological child that we didn't really choose him. He kind of got what we got. <laughs> but we had met these kids. We chose these kids. 
Some of my kids were orphaned twice when they were born into the world. And then when they were removed from their family of origin, listen, the Bible talks about we're born an orphan. But we're not supposed to stay there. Moses is adopted. He becomes a son in Pharaoh's household. Moses is an orphan. And his job for the rest of his life, his adult life, is to bring God's people from abandonment to home. To bring them to the promised land. Listen, we're all born orphans, and we exhibit orphan tendencies. And I want to suggest to you six of these this morning. There are more. You might resonate with some of these. Maybe you won't with others. But if you'll permit me, I want to get real with you. I want to tell you about some of my orphan tendencies. And uh, as I do this, could I invite you to kind of spin the uh, microscope into your heart and examine your heart as well? Here's a few. My wife uh, did some work a few years ago where she put together some of my old, I think she finished what my mom had started. Mom was a teacher, and um, she had all these old kind of papers from when I was a kid she put in a box, and Dawn took them and put them into a, a binder for me. And I went through that yesterday, and I found some of these things, made my heart smile just a little bit like this. It's typed. The date on it is June 13 through 24, 1983. It says, Shawnee Accelerated Studies Program for Gifted and Talented Students Entering Grades 1 through 12. That just sounds like a fancy way of saying, welcome to summer school, right? (laughs) I flip it over to the back. I must have been in either grade 3 or 4 because what mom has circled here, this is what I remember taking these classes. Fantasy in space, creating designs and lines and discovering the wonderful world of numbers. Sounds like a fancy way of doing math during the summer, right? Another class, exploring the world of physical science. Paper, chromatography, mass and volume, gravity and black holes, floating and sinking objects. I was one of those annoying kids. Dawn's told me this multiple times. She was a teacher. She said, I bet you were one of those kids in class. The teacher would ask, what's two plus three? And I would look around, and then I would just do this. You know those annoying kids in class? And then when the teacher doesn't call on you, you know, your arm gets tired and so you're holding your arm up and you're doing that. You remember those just annoying kids? I remember taking this class because we were all in that classroom, annoying kids, just eager. I found something else here. Some report cards. Mom was proud of those. I found this. I think it's first grade. It smells like mimeograph paper. If you're older than 30, you know what I just did there. That's a T-Rex, I think, if that dinosaur still exists, I'm not sure. But the name of my story that I've written here is Tom and the Dinosaur by Stanley Killebrew. Once upon a a day in the state of Illinois was a little boy Tom who liked science very, V-A-R-Y, well. What I did when I looked at this, I did what I always did in school. I skipped to the back. How did the teacher grade me? I like your story. And then I looked through it, and I looked for the places where I made a mistake. Okay, I see you say you like my story, but what did I do wrong? And one of the check marks that I'm looking at here, I can't help but notice, it's been erased and corrected. That might have been an exercise in the class. But I actually remember moments as a kid in in school. I would go back and fix the paper after I'd already gotten the grade. This leads to one of my orphan tendencies. Oftentimes, orphan tendencies can't receive feedback. Do you resonate with that at all? Are you wrestling with this idea of receiving feedback and receiving it well? Here's another thing I've got in my bag of goodies here. I've got uh, a bottle. uh, What does a bottle of Coca-Cola 
and an orange and underwear have in common? Well, nothing to you. And by the way, I couldn't find Coke, so this is old-fashioned Killebrew root beer. When I was a kid, Christmas morning, the stocking always had one of these, one of these, and maybe some underwear or some socks in it. And I remember as a kid thinking, oh, this is great, I get to drink pop that I don't usually get to drink. But about the time that I hit junior high, I realized I get what's going on here. Mom and Dad, they're just trying to balance the budget a bit here, right? Why don't I get to drink one of these all the time? Some of my buddies get to do that. They're giving me food on Christmas morning. And come on, socks and underwear. By the way, I didn't have any underwear to show you from when I was a kid. I might have some underwear that uh, is too old and should be thrown out. I have underwear that might be older than some of my kids. That might be an orphan tendency as well, uh, an inability to let things go when they're past their usefulness. But here's the orphan tendency that I would point out. Maybe some of us think that God is cheap or that I'm unworthy to receive good gifts. I look at mom and dad, and I transfer that on to my God. You're being kind of cheap here in this gift. Does God, is he cheap with his grace toward me? Or am I unworthy to receive his good gifts? There's pop psychology that's going on today. By the way, this is not what I'm doing here. My dad is a psychologist. These things did not make me an orphan. These things are hardwired into us, into our sin nature. Because our very first mother and father, Adam and Eve, they were tempted by the very first orphan. We know him as Satan. He led a rebellion. He orphaned himself, got kicked out of heaven. He tempted them with sin. They responded and they sinned. And the seeds of orphanhood are in all of us, even at birth. And our childhood experiences, you know if you want to grow something, all you need is some light and some water and some fertilizer to make things grow. Well, sometimes these things in our childhood and our young adulthood, they just become uh, water and they become fertilizer and they become light and they grow things inside of us that were there already. I'm not picking at mom and dad. I'm not picking at your mom and dad. But what things from your childhood were just light and water and fertilizer? We have a guy in our church. His name is Bob. He shared his story. We captured it. His story has some light, some fertilizer, some water. Grow, grew some seeds of orphanhood inside him. Well, I don't want to tell his story for you. Check this out. Uh, my name is Bob Rainier. I've been a member of Venture for several years now. I was adopted when I was five years old. Uh, I remember a little bit about foster care, uh, the foster care system. I was blessed to be adopted into a Catholic family. Once I was adopted, I, you know, as I felt more comfortable uh, with the situation with my new family, I started, uh, I guess you say, testing the waters a bit. One occasion, I was hiding under my mom and dad's bed, and I kept calling my mom name out, mommy, mommy, help me, help me. <laughs> and she's run all over the house trying to figure out where I am and it, that's what I say, it just tried her patience. And I started first grade at the parochial school. I had a nun for a teacher who had no patience. She asked uh, each student to stand up and introduce herself. So my, my time came, uh, I stood up and proceeded to say, my name is Bobby Dammit. Uh, called my mom, my mom came and picked me up from school for some reason. First thing she said when we got out in the car was, Bobby, damn it. <laughs> Every time I got scolded, she would say, Bobby, damn it, just like that. And it happened quite often. So. 
Well, I, I was confused, but uh, my mom took me home that first day of first grade, and she sat down and explained to me, you know, what my real last name was, Rainier. And through the through the months and through the years, I I was part of the family. I was finally part of a solid Christian family. Do you get what's going on there? He heard that so much, he thought that was his name, Bobby. I can't bring myself to say it. Not because it's a naughty word, it is, but I grew up on a farm. I've been in locker rooms, I've heard that word plenty of times. Probably been guilty of saying it myself a time or two. I can't bring myself to say that name because this is a human being that we're talking about. An identity and worth starts to sneak its way in. When you hear that over and over again, it reminded me, I've lived this story just a little bit. Again, I asked him permission yesterday to share the story, but my son Eric, he's the oldest of our adopted kids. Kindergarten. Right before kindergarten, he came to live with us as a foster child, and there was about a year gap between that moment and the, year we, the day we finally got to adopt them and give them our last name with all the rights and the privileges that go along with that. He's at school, kindergarten. Two boys, we have Micah and Eric, and Micah has our last name. At that point, Eric did not, and so they're kind of introducing themselves. And uh, some of the kids had asked Micah, hey, how come he doesn't have your last name? And Micah proudly said, because he's my foster brother. Skip ahead to the end of kindergarten. He comes home and tells Dawn, I just kind of wish they would call me by my real name. What are they calling you, sweetheart? They're calling me Eric Foster. After wanting to go beat up a kindergartner, which we didn't do, it wasn't their fault. They just misunderstood. Oh, sweetheart, no, no, no. You're going to be a killabrew. And I'll never forget the morning of the adoption. He woke up singing the song. Today is a happy day. Today is a happy day. I'm getting adopted. Welcome home. You're a killabrew with all the rights and the privileges therein. Don't buy the lie of that other identity. Welcome home. Let's grow together. Let's redeem this story together. Here's the problem. Our orphan tendencies oftentimes have a way of sneaking their way back in. Experiences bring them out. I have those. You have them. Maybe you wrestle with the one that I just shared. God is cheap or I'm unworthy. We see this in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2 says, And you were dead, not alive, dead, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, this is just, if you're wrestling with this, these orphan tendencies, it's normal. It's natural. It's what everybody is doing. Following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, remember the first orphan, and he infuses those orphan tendencies into our spiritual great-grandparents, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all, not some, not a few, all of us, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is normal. This is what everybody is wrestling with. If you identify with any of the things that I'm talking about, you're, you're normal. You're average. You're the default of the mean. What else do I have in here? 
I've got somewhere here some business cards. If you're older than 30, you know what these are. If you're younger than 30, you probably have never carried these before. But these are my very first business cards. It says right here, Central Christian Church, Stan Killebrew, Singles Ministry Intern. 3375 South Mojave Road, Las Vegas, Nevada. It's got a fax number on there as well as the business number. These are obsolete, so why in the world did I keep them all these years? Well, I was proud of these things, right? I hung on to these for some reason because they meant something to me. I look back at that era of my life. Maybe one of the worst times in my relationship with God, because right about that time as I was graduating from Bible college, I graduated with all the right answers. If you asked me, I'll tell you why I believe what I believe. And if you believe or you think a little bit differently than my hard-won theology, listen, I graduated a full-blown Pharisee. I didn't have grace for you. Here's an orphan tendency, and I feel it sneak up inside me even yet today. It's the inability to love others who are different than me. Do you feel this? By the way, the longer you live inside of Christian subculture, the less time you spent rubbing shoulders with real people, this might be you. Even hearing a word like we heard in that story just a minute ago, maybe that rubs you just a bit the wrong way, and I get that. But when's the last time you spent time with people who are different than you. Perhaps you have a hard time loving people who are different sexually. You don't have to agree with them, but you're called to love them, right? You're called to seek to meet them where they're at and love them with the grace of God. Maybe you disagree with people politically. You see something that they post on Facebook or that they don't post on Facebook, and you immediately go to the worst. And you think, oh, man, I just, I just disagree with who they are and what they stand for. Well, honestly, this is, this is normal, right? This is what orphans do. We have an inability to love others who are different than ourselves. If you feel anything as I'm talking about any of these things, you might write this down because over the next six weeks we're going to spend some time together unpacking it. And this is good work, good work to do. Here's another one. As I unpack some of my baggage, oh my goodness, I found this as I was down going through some stuff in the basement, and I smiled, and then I groaned, and then I broke out into song. Let me tell you why. I don't know if you noticed the stage set behind me. I I know you saw the um, house, but the scrim behind there actually is rented from a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. You know it as Oklahoma. Maybe you didn't know this, but your lead pastor was Curly in the 1991, I think I was typecast, but I had the the lead in Oklahoma in my high school, 1991, and every time this week I've walked into this room and I've seen that scrim, I've broken out in song, there's a bright golden haze on the meadow. I didn't do that really. But oh my goodness, I remember that era of my life. This has led to one of my orphan tendencies. Maybe you can relate to this. That contentment is based on our most recent performance. Contentment. How happy I am with how life is going right now is based on my most recent performance. I'm going to take that off. It's a little bit hot. 
as a preacher, I wrestle with this. Every week is a kind of a birth and a death cycle. I preach a sermon, preach my guts out, and I come home, Don, how was that? And then I wrestle, should I have said this? Could I have said this? And then each week, it's over and over again. I don't know, maybe in your work, you feel this similarly. Maybe your most recent report card that defines you looks like maybe your recent uh, performance in investments that you've made. Or maybe if, if you're somebody who's invested deeply in your kids, it's actually your kids' achievements that you feel as a report card on you. An orphan tendency is that contentment is based on my most recent performance. If I've done well, I feel good. If I've done bad, I feel poor. But here's the deal. You and I were a child of the one true creator, God of the universe. He loves you for who you are, not what you do. It's not what God has performed for me or for what I've performed for myself. It's what God has poured in and what he's already done for me. God likes me. And he likes you. You don't have to earn that like. Orphans are like this, though, right? Our joy is based on our most recent performance. Here's one. As I unpack baggage, I can't even believe that these are in my bag now. I wouldn't have thought 18 months ago that this would... Masks, right? The oxygen just left the room. He's going to make some statement about masking or anti-masking. Can I just be honest with you? My goodness, the last 18 months, it's been difficult to lead, period, in any organization. Some of you, you have strong feelings pro. Some of you have very strong feelings against. But that's not what I'm up here to vent about. This is what I want to talk about with masks. I found this one the other day. Dawn bought this. She thinks she's funny. Some of you know that um, I have a mild and, might I say, appropriate fear of clowns. What grown man paints a smile on his face when he's not really happy? You should be suspicious of a guy like that. Here's an orphan tendency. Fears are seen as normal and healthy. Fears are seen as normal and healthy. Here's the thing. I've felt this several times over the last few weeks. A couple weeks ago, I was on a plane. And uh, I love to travel. I was double masked. I got up to cruising altitude, and I just kind of felt my heart doing a little bit of this. And I looked around the plane, and all of a sudden in that moment, I thought, what if somebody has it? What if somebody has the vid? What if somebody has one of those variants, the Delta or the Mu or whatever they're calling the next one? Oh, my goodness, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Fears are seen as normal and healthy. This last week, I went to the eye doctor. I'm wearing a mask. She's wearing a mask. I lean in. I'm, she's doing the exam of my eyes. She's right here. I'm right here. My first thought was, my goodness, that's got to be difficult for her. She's been doing this all through this pandemic. And then I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. What if she has it right now? <laughs> I was walking the other day, and I felt it come back to me. Early in this season that we've all lived through, I would do these walks. I would take off walking. My staff got sick of this. I'd be, like, doing uh, phone calls with them and with some of you. And I'd be walking back, and, and I, would, I would come past somebody who's walking this way, and I would start. I caught myself self-consciously or, or subconsciously. I would, I would hold my breath when they were 20 yards away, and I would keep holding my breath until they were 20 yards past me. Guess what? All this news of the variants, I started catching myself doing this again just a couple of weeks ago. 
fears are seen as normal and healthy. This is actually our orphan tendency. First, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And we're called to take every thought captive. We say, I'm not a fearful person. I'm just a cautious person. Maybe. Maybe. Here's one. I was looking through stuff, and I found this. This is a program from 1978. It doesn't smell like mimeograph. It smells like old church basement and old lady cologne. <laughs> this is a program that I think I was in. 1978, I was four years old. I'm listed here as one of the angels. I bet we were cuties. There's a whole group of rock star, the shepherds always get all the good press. There's some wise men. It's a Christmas program. I read through this. And... Um, Mom kept this. I think she kept it for me. I think she also kept it for her. It says down here, a very special thank you goes to Betty Killebrew. That's my mom. Coordinator for the Children's Christmas Program. She's put a lot of planning, time, work, and love into this program. The results of her efforts and talents are greatly appreciated in bringing this message of God to us. I just told you about Oklahoma, that same era of my life. I remember going to prom, and on the way back from the meal to the prom itself, we stopped by the hospital room. We got a picture somewhere of me and my date, tux and dress. And I'm standing next to my mom who's in a hospital bed, and she's, she's dying. I could read this thank you and insert me into that story. She's put a lot of planning and time and work and love into my spiritual development. The results of her efforts and talents are greatly appreciated in bringing the message of God to me. That era of my life, the person probably nurturing the most in my relationship with my Jesus, watching her die a difficult, a difficult death. It took like five years for her to die. It got rough. Can you imagine that that might have some impact in the way I view God? Can you imagine that that might have something to do with some of the work that I need to do over the next six weeks? Myself, here's an orphan tendency. We have difficult bonding with others. I lost my mom in a pretty developmentally important stage of my life. You better believe that that has had some effect downstream for me. Let me say this. Who's your best friend? If your best friend lives in another city, you might have a hard time bonding with others. There's a high divorce rate in our culture today. My goodness, we have a hard time even bonding with our spouse. Can I challenge you with this? Get into a small group. For the next six weeks, and some of you are going to be tempted. You've signed up for a group, but you're going to try to talk yourself out of going and being a part of it. Take a risk. Go. Lean into it. If you haven't signed up for one yet, do it. It's an orphan tendency. We avoid intimacy, trying to bond or try to stay away from bonding with other people. But there's a great opportunity here to wrestle with our baggage, to unpack some of that junk. So get into a small group. Listen, 
If your car is broken, I can't guarantee that the mechanic you take it to will fix it. If your marriage is broken, I can't guarantee that the marriage therapist you see will fix it. But I can guarantee you this. Your car or your marriage won't get fixed if you don't go and get some help. If you don't get into a small group, I can promise you these orphan tendencies You're not going to take a proactive step toward fixing them in your lives. It's worth the struggle. Because if you're taking notes, write this down. The hope of home is real. The hope of home is real. We're aiming at it. By the way, every week we do this. We gather together around a supper table. And it's a rehearsal dinner. It's a rehearsal dinner. Because one of these days there's going to be the wedding. It's a cheap substitute of the real meal. As you came in and you sat down today, you probably found sitting in the seat there, there's a a little kind of a trinket. It's a taste. There's a pellet that's supposed to be bread, and there's some juice there. Would you grab that right now? And with your other hand, go ahead and grab this book that you were writing in earlier. Go to page 12 and 13. Where I feel at home. When I feel at home and when I don't feel at home, there's a moment right here to lean into. What we're doing is a taste. It's what we're aiming at because at the end of time, let's go to that passage of Scripture. The wedding feast of the Lamb. We find this in Revelation chapter 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. This is going to be your words one of these days when you're finally home. Hallelujah. He reigns. That's what that means. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. And we're home. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So right now, this is a time to make yourself ready. You're the bride of Christ if you belong to the church. Spend some time maybe confessing those things that need to be confessed. That's when you don't feel at home. Spend some time rejoicing for those spaces that you do feel at home and look ahead with anticipation and longing for what he's going to do in us and through us on that day. And when you're ready, you pray on your own. You take that small sample meal together with your God and you just do what you need to do between you and your Savior as you dream about, as you think about home. Spend some time unpacking your bags. Because the journey has come. The journey has begun. The journey toward home.